0: Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. Earlier this month, researchers at the nonpartisan North Carolina Budget and Tax Center released their annual State of Working North Carolina report. And not surprisingly, it identifies several ways in which the pandemic has exacerbated the already difficult situation that confronts millions of families in the modern economy. Whether it's the lack of affordable childcare and transportation or the failure of employers to provide basic protections from COVID-19, the report finds that North Carolina's economy is being held back in several ways by a lack of vision and concern for workers. Recently, I got a chance to have an extended conversation with the lead author of the report, Budget and Tax Center Research Manager Patrick McHugh. And as McHugh told me, a big part of the challenge facing our state stems from a basic refusal to confront a problem that needs fixing. Patrick McHugh, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us.
1: Always good to see you, Rob.
0: So, the latest State of Working North Carolina report is out. You and a gosh, a whole fleet of experts have prepared it. It's entitled Protecting and Connecting Workers. It's the best way for North Carolina to rebuild and move forward. Talk to us about this new report. Am I right that the pandemic has sort of brought about a bit of a sea change in the world of work and is forcing us to confront some things maybe we've kind of had on the back
1: burner? Yeah, absolutely. There's always a lot of ways to talk about this, but when I was thinking about it, put me in mind, there was an old country story about a traveling salesman who gets stuck out in the rain kind of between towns, miles from anywhere, comes up on a house, and there's a fellow standing in the doorway watching the rain pour down, and traveling salesman comes up and asks him, like, hey, man, is that all right if I might, you know, stay over the night, get out of the storm? And the guy says, well, you know, the only place I got for you is the kitchen, and it Leaks so bad in there, you'd get just as wet as you would staying out here. Traveling salesman's like, well, why don't you fix the roof? And the guy says, are you crazy? It's raining out here. Traveling salesman's kind of like, oh, come on, man. I mean, why don't you fix the roof when it ain't raining? And the guy says, well, then it ain't leaking. And I think that's just kind of the reality of our economy. There's nothing that fundamentally changed during COVID-19. It just made it all the more apparent how poorly repaired the social and economic roof on our state really is. So when something like this comes along, problems that have long been there that make it hard for people to stay connected to the labor force become even more pronounced. And I think that's what we're dealing with right now. And really what the focus of this report is looking at, you know, there's a lot of things that we should be doing even during quote unquote good times that are what people need in order to reconnect to the labor force. Uh, And that's really what's slowing down our recovery, in addition to obviously Delta and the actual pandemic itself, is that there's a lot of people that want to work, but just face enormous barriers in getting back.
0: So there's kind of been this, I don't know if it's a mythology, but there's this traditional viewpoint, well, you know, the market will take care of this stuff. Let's just get out of the way. And everything will be fine. Everybody will get back to work. The economy will work. Its, the, the invisible hand will work its magic. But I think what you're telling us is that invisible hand's great. We need market forces. But there's a lot of intentional stuff that we have to do to build a system in which a market economy can work most effectively. A lot of things that, in terms of engaging workers, making it possible for them to get to work in order for that system to really work best.
1: Absolutely. And you know, one way to think about this is the sort of traditional market narrative of Allowing labor and capital to find its best uses requires labor and capital to be mobile and to have choices about where to go. And a lot of what we're seeing right now is if you can't afford to put your child in childcare either because you don't have the money for it or you may live in a community where a child care center used to be and it's closed during the pandemic, well, then you don't have the freedom to take your labor to the market and find its best use. If you don't have a car, you lost a car, you can't afford to buy a new car right now and you can't get to work, then you cannot be that unit of economic activity that is connecting your labor to where the demand is. So, That's the thing is, in order for those kinds of market forces to function, you have to have people with the freedom and the ability to join the labor market and to find the job that fits their skill set. So that's the fundamental underlying challenge is we don't have that for hundreds of thousands of North Carolinians right now.
0: Let's dig into some of those. In the report, you identify some of those categories that you've just previously alluded to, child care being right near the top of the list. That's something we've talked about for a long time in North Carolina and the lack of access to affordable child care, particularly for lower and middle wage workers. But The pandemic has just turned that into an emergency, one would have to say. And you talk about that in the report and talk about some things we should do.
1: This is exactly one of those things where, to your point, we could have fixed this and it would have put us in a lot better shape. You know, it's both a question of a lack of sufficient subsidies for people that just simply can't afford childcare, And it's also because we allowed a system to exist where a lot of childcare providers were operating on incredibly thin margins. You know, I mean, these are the people that take care of our children all day. And yet many of the workers are incredibly low wage, often at the beginning of the pandemic lacked the personal protective equipment, they needed to be safe in the workplace. And so there's a bunch of these child care centers that just went under. So we already have a lack of provider on top of it being unaffordable for a lot of people. And so this is where even if, you know, Congress passes a big, you know, childcare subsidy bill, we still probably have a problem in this state where because a lot of the providers went under and we don't have enough public sector providers where we're going to have a problem to fix that we, we wouldn't necessarily have. So I think that's one, you know, really dramatic example. And that's certainly one of the big ones that the federal census has been surveying people throughout the pandemic. That's what a lot of what we use asking, you know, if you are not working, why is, you know, what's the main barrier? And in that survey, at least childcare jumps to the top as one of the main barriers that keeps people out of work. And that's, again, something that's an issue for people who want to return to the workforce, and it's an issue for child care providers themselves. We're talking with Patrick
0: McHugh, who's the research manager for the North Carolina Budget and Tax Center, about the new State of Working North Carolina report. We're talking about child care right now. And obviously, the child care issue has a lot of implications for what do you refer to as essentially racial and gender equity? We know who the people are who are the low-paid workers in childcare, and we know who the people are who are priced out of affordable childcare, and those tend to be disproportionately women and people of color.
1: It is. And there's another through line beyond just, we should have fixed our house before the storm came along. I think the other through line throughout all of these is doing the right thing morally and doing the thing that would build a more equitable society is also the right thing economically. So let's just take childcare as the example. We were just talking about the fact that this is one of the most stringent barriers keeping a lot of people out of work. Well, guess who most of those people are? Women are about 10 times more likely than men to report providing childcare and the need to be there for their children as the reason that they can't go to work. So here's a case where if we do something that helps women disproportionately, we also at the same moment address one of the key obstacles to a more robust recovery. And this is so often the case that doing the right thing to make our society more fair and just is also the thing that will make us more economically resilient.
0: What does that mean in the childcare context? Should we be having larger subsidies? Should we get rid of this waiting list that we have for uh, assistance in North Carolina by by actually fully funding it? Is that what it basically comes down to, providing more dollars to make
1: childcare affordable and accessible? I think in the short run, yeah. that's the short answer is, this is a case where we do have a system to provide childcare subsidies, if we significantly, and we're talking significantly increased funding for that, we could address the wait list. I do think there is a longer term issue there with the structure of how subsidies are provided and the payment rates that we would need to provide either subsidies that are more robust from the child care provider point of view, or build additional public options, whether it's through the public school system or other mechanisms that don't rely upon private child care providers to carry all of the weight. So there's an immediate fix that would sort of at least address the immediate challenges. But to really have the sort of good roof over your house, we will need to make some more systematic investments in child care that go beyond the current system.
0: Which is something that's done in a variety of advanced Western Eastern countries as well. Universal... Pre-K, free pre-K for kids is something that many countries just take as a given. And it's something, unfortunately, the United States just isn't there yet.
1: And again, this goes back to the question you were asking before. What does it take to run a strong market economy? A lot of times it takes these kinds of basic institutional infrastructure. we built banks in order to create the financial system that allows capitalism to function. This is kind of in a similar vein fundamental economic infrastructure.
0: Well, let's talk about another area of infrastructure that's highlighted in the report, and that's transportation. And the fact that there are a lot of barriers, always been those barriers, but they, they too have been exacerbated during the pandemic, just something as mundane as how much cars cost these days to, to get one that works. Talk to us about some of these barriers in transportation.
1: Well, and again, this is where, you know, a pre-existing barrier can be compounded during a pandemic. There are already a lot of people that didn't have access to a vehicle before the pandemic came along, and there are north of 40,000 people reported a lack of access to transportation as the main reason they weren't able to work over the last several months. So we know that's the big issue, and a big part of that is if you were already on the financial knife edge, if you were already kind of scraping to make-do month after month before the pandemic came along and you lost a job, and even if you ended up getting unemployment insurance benefits, eventually there was probably a break in your income there. That's exactly the type of experience that can cause people to lose their car. You know, a lot of people that maybe barely afforded a car before the pandemic lost it. Now, one of the biggest things that has happened, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's gotten more expensive. In the last year, I mean, you go to the grocery store, there's a lot of things that are substantially more expensive than they were before the pandemic. The cost of used cars has absolutely exploded. I mean, it's yeah. astounding how much more a used car costs right now than just a year ago. So if you lost a car, Even then, if you got some unemployment insurance benefits to help you make up for some of that lost income, you still couldn't afford to buy the very car that you lost back because (laughs) they're far more expensive than they were before. Now, it's starting to come down a little bit, but that's still exactly the kind of thing that can extend the duration of. A economic downturn for people with the least economic financial cushion. So that's one of the issues that we really need to pay attention to is there's a lot of folks that, that should be able to afford to get themselves back into a car that they can't right now.
0: Coming up next, part two of my chat with Patrick McHugh. Don't go away. Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In part one of my special extended conversation with North Carolina Budget and Tax Center Research Manager Patrick McHugh, we discussed the ways in which a lack of vision, particularly with respect to issues that disproportionately impact women and people of color, like affordable child care, is holding back our economy and its recovery from the pandemic. In part two of our chat, we discussed several other areas in which his group's new State of Working North Carolina report identifies a similar pattern, from access to transportation and broadband internet service, to the provision of paid sick days for workers, and opportunities to train for high-tech 21st century jobs. You alluded to the fact that a lot of people are are afraid to go back to work. They're worried about the fact that workplace protections may be scant in the particular jobs that they might um, be capable of, of filling. Talk to about some things maybe we could do to some minimal protections that the state could enact that probably have been done in other places maybe that could make the workplace a little bit safer and more attractive to people.
1: Simple common sense things like mask requirements. We shouldn't be leaving this up, you know, both leaving it up to and putting the onus on mayors and city governments and things like that. If we were serious about protecting the health of North Carolinians and protecting our economic recovery, we would simply say, you know what, sorry, but you gotta put a mask on when you go back inside, period, end of story. It's a simple thing, it's not a one-shot fix, but it certainly will go a long way. Obviously, the, the politics around vaccine mandates have become incredibly fraught, but everything and anything that our state government can do, it should be doing to make sure that people get that kind of protection. In the absence of those kinds of basic protections, then there's just no path out of this as far as you know what most experts uh, w- would tell you and i certainly won't claim to be a public health expert i think the other thing that both during the pandemic and again what's good for you during bad times is also helpful during good times is we don't have a robust workplace safety inspection regime in this state we need tools to hold employers accountable for protecting the lives of the people that work for them and Throughout the pandemic, we've seen that we don't have that and we don't have a way to say, you know what, if you're going to ask somebody to come and work for you and to help put money in your pocket, then the least you can do is make sure that the job you're asking them to do doesn't kill. Them.
0: And something as simple as paid sick days would just would be a would be a help there.
1: That's another one. And that's one where there was some extension of paid sick days to not everybody in North Carolina, but more folks through some of the initial federal response bills. And based on, there's some really strong evidence that expanding paid sick days could have averted thousands of cases of COVID a week in North Carolina during some periods of the pandemic obviously, if you don't have the option to stay home when you think you might be sick, you end up going into work, you end up getting more of your colleagues sick, you get your customers sick. It's just the height of lunacy to require people to go to work when they're sick, regardless of whether you happen to be in the middle of a virulent pandemic. So that's another case where a straightforward policy change that's good for people in good times would be even more beneficial during a storm like this.
0: One area where it seems like maybe we're starting to see some headway again, it's going to be incremental and slow, is access to broadband. That's another topic you deal with in this report. We know that so many people have moved to uh, working online. We're doing this interview online. Talk to us about what more the state of North Carolina could be doing. It's obviously important, not just for workers, but for students. There's there's just so much more that needs to be done to expand broadband access. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the. The good news, and you're kind of hinting at it, I, I do think we're seeing a growing consensus that we need to do more to address broadband infrastructure access, at the very least. Now, it hasn't been met with the kind of investment that's actually needed to address the problem. But we have seen some steps over the last few years to put more money into grant programs that can assist broadband providers in extending their networks to neighborhoods and communities that are not currently served and most of that's focused on rural north carolina now one thing that i think is important to recognize is this again back to the invisible hand of the market we wouldn't have electricity in every community in north carolina if we had left that wisdom to rule the day we eventually decided that the society no, you know we're going to ensure that everybody has access to electricity because i guarantee you there would be large swaths of North Carolina that to this day would not have electricity if we had left it entirely up to private providers. Same thing is true for broadband, both true in rural and urban North Carolina. And this is where I think we need to really look further down the road and extend the conversation. It's not just about whether there's broadband in the ground, it's about whether you can afford it. This is something I don't think a lot of Americans actually understand that there's a lot of the rest of the world, Europe, a lot of Southeast Asia, they don't pay a hundred bucks a month for broadband or eighty or seventy or even fifty bucks a month for broadband. Broadband is expensive in this country. And so the barrier that's in many cases just as pronounced is not whether there happens to be Time Warner cable running through your neighborhood, it's whether you can afford to turn it on. And so that's a place where we need to really take a hard look at subsidizing subscribers to broadband. Now, there is a federal program that's actually underway right now that does provide some subsidies through internet service providers. So I think there's some opportunities to learn from how that works, what kinds of holes get left and where the state needs to play a role. And we'll see, you know, my guess is that kind of subsidy from the federal government is not going to be a permanent thing. But that's definitely the other component of the broadband question that we just can't ignore is just cost. The report
0: is The State of Working North Carolina, Protecting and Connecting Workers. It's the best way for North Carolina to rebuild and move forward. The lead author is Patrick McHugh, the research manager for the North Carolina Budget and Tax Center. Patrick, always good to have you as a guest on the show. Thanks for writing this report. Folks can find it at ncjustice.org, right? Absolutely. Check it out. We'll talk to you again real soon. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.
1: Read and hear more about important